0: Welcome
1: to Bible Study for Progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. The story of the first fratricide is a simple story with many gaps. Who is Abel's real father? Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? Shouldn't God have known this would lead to murder? Why did God ask Cain about the whereabouts of Abel when God surely already knew? Why does Cain ask, am I my brother's keeper? Why didn't God intervene to prevent the murder? Who cursed Abel, God or the earth? Why did God promise sevenfold vengeance on anyone who kills Cain? Why does Eve say she created the man herself with God's help? Why does Cain build a city? These are just a few of the questions the text leaves unanswered. Both Christians and Jews have interpreted the story as a demonstration of God's sovereignty. God is above the law because, like a king or emperor, God makes the law. The story has been interpreted to justify the absolute rule and authority of God, and thereby the kings and emperors who ruled in God's place. The gaps in the story and the social context in which the story was read influenced the interpretation of the text. As a result, the simple lesson of the story has eluded us. The lesson is, don't kill. Make no mistake, Cain's murder of Abel was a blasphemous crime against God and nature itself. Imagine God created the Garden of Delight, where humans frolic naked and unashamed, and where neither the animals nor humans needed to kill to survive. Then, in the very next generation, one brother kills the other, Abel's blood cries out from the ground and the ground opens its mouth to swallow it. This is no private matter. Cain's actions were not only unlawful, they were an affront to God and a satanic perversion of the law. God does not execute Cain for the crime of murder. To do so would counterman the lesson. Instead, God banished Cain to nod. God then places a mark on Cain saying, anyone who kills him will suffer sevenfold vengeance. Whoever kills Cain has completely and totally missed the point of the lesson. Do not kill. Do not use violence as a tool of governance. Cain went off to Nod to build the world's first city. Nod means no city. Cain named his city after his firstborn son Enoch. Enoch means dedicated, experienced, and trained. He had been taught not to kill. Abel means vanity or breath, like a wisp of air or an empty vessel. This describes Abel's role in the story. The meaning of Seth is appointed. Seth is appointed to take Abel's place, to take Abel's position and duties as a ruler and the image of God. Eve proclaimed that she had produced the man just as God had created man, meaning she had created a ruler and image of God. Her use of the word man is unexpected here. It doesn't describe a baby, and Cain and Abel do indeed grow up fast in the story. Even Adam is simply referred to as Adam, a generic Hebrew word for man. Seth's son, Enosh, is also a Hebrew word for man. The name Adam begins the story, and the name Enosh brackets the lesson. So the story begins and ends with general references to humankind. God created human beings in God's image and gave us dominion over creation. The mark God puts on Cain may be God's own likeness, the image of God. Like kings and emperors who put their images on coins and buildings, God sends representatives to be leaders on God's behalf. We are God's image sent into the world to rule justly. We are to represent God's compassion and love for creation as individuals and as a nation. We are not to kill or use violence. We are to rule as God's caretakers with mercy, humility, and justice. Wait, you say, doesn't God lead the Jews in battle? Doesn't God order the killing of men, women, and children multiple times in the Old Testament? Doesn't the law require the death penalty for many crimes, including things that seem innocuous to us today? How can anyone lead a nation of multitudes and not execute criminals or conduct wars? Before you run off to problematic texts to justify Killing, I remind you that one of the Ten Commandments is do not kill. The lesson do not kill stands on firm biblical ground. But what about self-defense as when an enemy attacks without provocation? The story simply doesn't speak to self-defense. The sevenfold vengeance God promised those who kill may be the cycle of violence and retribution that often results from the use of force. War is where everything creation is meant to be is utterly and completely destroyed. The number seven in the Bible is a symbol of completeness. Seventy-fold seven vengeance symbolizes complete and total destruction. By the time of Noah, the world became corrupt and violent. There is no doubt that killing is rampant throughout the world, but this is not what God wants. I agree with ancient Jews and Christians that God is not to blame. Cain is in the wrong. Yes, He is his brother's keeper, the main point of the story that all of humanity originated from one source. The message of the text is that no matter how offended, even if God rejects you, do not kill. We are to care for the deeds of others, regardless of who they are. God provides for both the just and the unjust and is perfect for doing so. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. We are not to kill our enemies. We are to love them. Interpreters have struggled with God's capricious rejection of Cain's sacrifice and God's failure to punish Cain in kind. Even before Cain killed Abel, God warned Cain not to be crestfallen. God asked Cain, why are you angry and why has your continence fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is a matter of ethics, not ritual. Mastering our desires is necessary for the just exercise of power. With wealth and power comes the temptation to abuse that power and exploit others. Throughout human history, from King David's lust for Bathsheba, to Jeffrey Epstein's trafficking teenage girls to the elite. We have seen how sin leads to death. In fact, this is the first instance in which sin is mentioned in Genesis. Even Adam's transgression, while disastrous, is not called sin. Cain's murder of evil is the first sin. Cain's act was evil. The curse upon Cain comes from the earth because it is the natural result of Cain's actions. The earth groans with the blood spilt on it by human violence. Immanuel Kant spoke of radical evil, an evil that lies at the very heart of human nature. It is what rabbis call the yeser hara, the evil inclination in the human heart. Kierkegaard called evil a defiance of unconditional love. He wrote, there is no rational explanation for a human person who wants to e- exist in defiance of the loving cosmos. Paul Rincourt wrote, violent death becomes the figure of absolute evil. Sin is social. It's not about personal morality. It's about social ethics. Adverse social conditions foment evil, and evil people create unjust social systems. There is a connection between our inner being and the world. Our evil desires are expressed collectively through politics. Our inner desires and fears influence not only our personal behavior, but they influence our collective behavior as a people, a community, and a nation. Sin has far-reaching effects and comes from external as well as internal sources. Adam Lacrochet points out that in both the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Cain and Abel, evil enters into the picture from the outside. In Adam and Eve, it comes with the serpent. In the story of Cain and Abel, it comes with from the demon lurking at the door, in Genesis 4-7. Some scholars find the word translated as lurking, or in other versions as crouching, to be grammatically ambiguous. This ambiguity is resolved if one looks at the word not as a participle modifying the word sin, but as a word borrowed from another ancient language spoken in ancient Mesopotamia at the time, which meant demon. The collective expression of human evil, as in the Holocaust and countless other atrocities, can be described as demonic. Cain's name in Hebrew means possessed. This brings us to the ancient and modern interpreters, many of whom view the story in terms of God's sovereignty and those who oppose such a reading. They become absorbed in the gaps, creating involved narratives outside the text. One can hardly help but do this with a text that leaves so many questions unanswered. I prefer to stick to the text as much as possible. I believe the gaps, the unanswered questions, are there and go unanswered for a reason. They tell us what is unimportant and point to what is important. For example, the ambiguity as to Abel's parentage serves to point out that one's brother, the one we should not kill, is not limited to those directly related by blood. We all come from the same ancestors. Ancient people considered the tribe, indeed the entire nation, to be related by blood, hence the long genealogies in Scripture. Indeed, a genealogy follows Cain's exile. We are our brother's keeper, and our brothers and sisters are everyone. It doesn't matter whether we are related by blood The ambiguity regarding Abel's father tells us that our responsibility is to all of humanity and not just to our clan, tribe, or nation. Prior to Augustine, early Christians read the story as one of virtue and vice. Cain is responsible for Abel's death. Christians believe Cain's failure to control himself and spare Abel displays the ubiquity of evil. Some ancient texts even went so far as to claim that an evil divine being sired Cain. 1 John 3 verses 12 and 13 says that Cain belonged to the evil one. In the ancient world, violence and injustice were considered demonic, what we might today call collective human evil. Others argue that Cain's sacrifice was defective. Philo, Josephus, Targum, Suelo, Jonathan portray Cain as unwilling to share. His mind was divided against God. He cannot be a member of the Christian community. The problem with this interpretation is that there is nothing in the story to indicate that there was anything wrong with Cain's sacrifice. Christians saw the story in terms of two communities, even seeing Cain as representing Jews and Abel as representing Christians. Augustine associated Christians with the city of God, whereas Jews were relegated to the city of men. Augustine concentrated on Cain's curse and his infamous Mark to create a theology about the Jews that influenced future generations of Christians in disastrous ways. Cain's sin led to a world filled with violence and injustice. Now we're going to turn to our discussion. We have here today the Reverend Tom Egamin, author Bert Newton, attorney and seminarian Susan Cameron, spiritual director Naomi Weidman, professor. Joseph Dowd and myself, Rich Procida. I want to apologize for the bad sound on my mic in this recording. So I had to cut a lot of myself out of the discussion, but I kept the more important things in, and you'll hear what I'm saying. But I hope you enjoyed the discussion with our panel.
0: Well, I. I think uh, it's helpful for me, at least, to uh, to see this story as part of a variety of stories in the first eleven chapters of Genesis, uh, which is all of a which is a run-up, I suppose, to uh, the introduction of uh, in chapter twelve of of, uh, of Abraham and the covenant there. I think it's terribly. I I think the ambiguity of the stories uh, allows for a lot of people to try to find themselves in there. And, you know, nothing is clear, totally clear, um, which is to say, I suppose, that human motivation and human interaction rarely are things ever clear. and where we come from, and who we are, and where we're going. But all of this is a run-up. And I think the way I've put it sometimes is that in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, God really doesn't know what God is doing. That there's as much ambiguity in God uh, as there is in any of the other elements of the story. And it's as if... uh, It's taking God some time to get God's act together, that God is also asking, who is God, and what am I to do, and how do I deal with this creature that I've created, this whole earth? And, of course, the story of Noah's flood uh, is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a story of God's overreaction, Uh, a God who absolutely and utterly loses control of God's self. Uh, and ethically engages in, in uh, the worst kinds of murder, wiping out. And then in Peter, there's that little verse about Christ going to the place where the people of Noah were, uh, and it's, I think it's almost as if God is apologizing for, uh, for the horror of the flood. Anyway, it, it, in all of this ambiguity... In order to uh, allow us to find our place in this, that in some form or fashion, uh, we're we're all parts, we're all part of this story. If nothing else, we're just confused and uncertain. That drives us to chapter 12, where God gets a little more serious and says to Abraham, I need your help. Okay, Joseph. Oh. <clears throat> okay, well, I, I don't have anything especially
2: insightful to say here, but um, since, since Rich you were kind of emphasizing the importance of thou shalt not kill. I I thought thought it'd be interesting um, to note uh, an interpretation that I've, that I've read of certain scriptural passage that has to do with um, with the, the devil and with, um, with the entry of death into the world. So um, there's this book called the Book of Wisdom, sometimes called Wisdom of Solomon. And um, it's part of the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Bibles, um, not part of the Protestant Bible. Um, it's, it's considered apocrypha. But anyway, what's what's interesting here is that there's a, um, let's see, it's uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 23 to 25. And um, these lines read, uh, for God created man incorruptible, indestructible, that is, and to the image of his own likeness, he made him. But by the envy of the devil, death came into the world and they follow him that are of his side okay so now if if you if you read that um kind of through the theological tradition that's developed of course what you you would assume that what it's talking about is well um the devil took the form of a serpent and tempted adam and eve and you know when they ate uh when they ate of the tree they um they lost their immortality. Okay, so that's that that would be kind of like the how how you'd read it through the tradition that has developed. Um but there's this a scholar named Henry Ansgar Kelly who wrote a book titled Satan a biography. And he um and he looked and he pointed out that there's this guy an early church father named Clement of Rome and um if, and in one, in one text, uh, Clement talks about this passage and he, um, he actually identifies the devil who brought death into the world with Cain, killing his brother Abel, cause that was the first act of murder. And, um, and you know, the, the, the word that's translated as devil here, um, in, in, in the uh, wi- the book of wisdom is written in Greek. It's um, the, the word that translated as devil there is diabolos. And that just means like accuser or slanderer or um, adversary. So it uh, wouldn't necessarily refer to the big devil. It it could be just the person. Um, the, the word is used sometimes that way in, in scripture. And so um, so yeah, so Clement th- thought that this, this referred to Cain. And so sort of first sin here, or sort of the original sin that brought death into the world on this reading is actually um, Cain's murder of Abel. And um, then Kelly points out that, okay, so uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, um, he, he says, Uh, that the the devil was a murderer from the beginning now now here Kelly's pretty sure that that jesus is talking about the the you know the big d devil um but he, he he said he said he thinks that jesus is kind of accusing the devil of having some complicity in cain's murder of abel so i i don't know i just i just thought that was interesting thought i'd uh, throw that out there.
1: Awesome, Bert. Do you want to chime in?
3: Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I found found I, I found found Tom's uh, uh, idea intriguing um, about God trying to figure things out, figure figure himself out. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that might be in there. And and it, you know, this is as rich said, a trickster text. I I I, um, I want to. Continue a little bit of what I um, mentioned last month, and I read a, uh, an article or one or two articles on this recently, um, about that this is um, sort of a, a, a mythic retelling or a mythic, um, I, I don't know, a, yeah, story of what some people call the fall to civilization, So, um, because you you get the first city, you get technology, and it all comes through uh, Cain, who's the first murderer. Um, And so, uh, and so you know, um, there's the idea that Cain he represents the stage of development in um, in human development where uh, we started farming and. When we started farming, it means people had to have land. That meant that, that meant land ownership. So land owner but you know, and before that, people were, you know, w- wandered, and you know, so a uh, uh, herdsman, or uh, uh, herders would would mo- were more wanderers, and but the the um, the farmers, you know, at that point you had to have you had to own land, and that's you know where everything kind of goes downhill from that, and. To, to claim land, you have to use, you know, you may have to use violence, you know. And, um, so, and it's interesting. Also, the a couple of sources I looked at said that, uh, and, and one of them was like just a footnote in, 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 um, in an online NRSV translation uh, that "nod" means wandering. So, um, so Cain uh, kills. Abel, who was the herder, the wanderer. God says, "I, I, you know, you are cursed to wander the earth." He just says that to Cain. Cain settles in a place called Wandering, and then doesn't wander. He builds a city. So, and then, um, and then, and then, and then, his his children are responsible for technology. They reinvent uh, herding. Um, they. Um, I don't know what, what the deal is with a liar in the pipe, uh, uh, but they invent those uh, and all the implements of copper and iron. So um, yeah, so, so yeah. So I think there's, there's something there. I mean, I I think there's, if if nothing else, there's definitely something about um, farmers and and herdsmen in in this, you know, that they represent. But I, I think the people that read it this way have, have, there, there's something to it there's that this this kind of uh uneasiness with civilization and technology and cities and you know um you know and this kind of goes back to the last the last passage where people get kicked out for knowing things right kicked out of eden for knowledge of good and evil and on one hand we see this as an inevitable and progress on the other hand like we're destroying the planet with our cities and technology and, you know, and, and we get better and better at war killing, you know, but I I think maybe this is a storytelling to kind of wrestle with that.
0: If I can just jump in here a second, Bert, thank you very, very much. Uh, And I, I, want to talk to Naomi a moment because of her question about uh, spirituality and soil. And uh, in the first 11 chapters there's a there's ambiguity again about soil. Uh, it becomes a receptacle for Abel's blood and it, it cries out to God and yet on the other hand it's 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 cursed and it produces thorns and thistles um, The three children of uh, of Cain, uh, herdsmen uh, music, and heavy industry, (laughs) yet there's no, I thought to myself, there's no mentioning there of farming. Uh, So I, I, I don't have anything specific, but at least the ambiguity with regard to soil, because I think Bert, you're absolutely right. In order to farm, the land has to be owned. It has to be fenced. It has to be defended. And then you get the eighth century prophets where everybody's owning land and those who own the most, you know, are the sit on top of the heap and they're doubling their acreage and doubling the size of their homes and blah, 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 blah. And on and on it goes. And I think maybe, I think it's safe to say Israel uh, as a, as a cultural entity uh, was often struck. Well here one point they were surrounded by big commerce and cities, Egypt to the south or southeast, Babylon and Syria to the north and to the northeast. And it was almost as if Israel, uh, part of it was confined to the mountains, and you couldn't do a whole lot there. Uh, the plains were pretty much taken by the Philistines. And it was like as if Israel has a, a really ambiguous relationship to what the three children produced and a really ambiguous relationship to farming because the the ultimate image of david for example in the 23rd psalm is is herding not farming i don't know that's i i just wanted to say bert thank you but that whole business of land has to be owned and defended
1: yes yeah thank you tom and one of the things i wanted to mention about is that the city was not the city necessarily that we think of as the city? It's not like this is a city in a nation. That these were the state is being referred to. Naomi, since you're studying this, you want to add into anything with this, or
4: I just want to say that um, um, this story obviously comes after um, chapters one and two, uh, and the the I think that that it's crucial that we're using the word soil here, which is Adama, and which is, you know, Adam's name. Adam is named for the soil. Adam is made of soil and is named for soil. And that's, that's different than land. It's different than territory. It's different than political entity. One of the things that this story illustrates for me is a fundamental disconnection with self and um, so cain is is uh, a tiller of soil, which means he is the he is the he works with his own material he works he's integrated what happens when he kills his brother is he disintegrates and uh, so the curse is not so much God coming down with a lightning bolt and saying you know you're um You've done bad and you're going to have a punishment, but Cain himself disintegrates because God's word to Cain is sin is lurking at your door and wants to have you. You can make a different choice here. You can stay together or you can disintegrate. And Cain goes ahead and does the the, the violent action against himself in a way and against his substance, his own substance, and kills his brother. And so... His banishment, the fact that his offspring says, I killed somebody too, and I'm going to be avenged 70 times. What my father, you know, even greater. I don't want to over-psychologize it because I don't, I, I want, it's more mythical to me. But it's, it's this um, separation from the self that, um, it shows a couple of things about humanity. Humanity is self-reflective. And so um, so this, these early stories are setting up this, these constructs of what does it mean to be a human being? And one of them is you can look at this problem that's, that's facing you. Your brother was accepted and you were not. That's a pro- you problemize it, problematize it. What are you going to do about it? Well, you can do the wrong thing or you can do something terrible if you do that, you will disintegrate. So that's, um, that's what I see in this story. Um, it's not um, a, a confusion, but it's, a, it's sort of a natural result of, um, of a choice made, but, but it's like the human, ha- the human person has turned on, in this case, himself um, and, and on his basic substance and and so this so it's important that we're in in soil the adama at this point.
1: Very good, thank you. I a lot of people take it the story psychologically. Susan, you you we haven't heard from you yet.
5: Uh, I was going to say Naomi's focus on the soil was uh, was something that helped me to uh, to look at that and. And I, um, I've heard this whole um, hunter-gatherer, herds person versus agriculture. Um, and, and the one thing I'd like to push back on is that agriculture doesn't require private ownership of land. Uh, there can be, there is uh, agriculture in the commons. Um, there is a history in human human history. It's not known today, but um, the commons are were farmed um, historically, and I, I know how that. There's a lot of literature about how that worked in. Um, in the British Isles, but uh, there are lots of different ways that agricultural societies have um, organized themselves with collective um, control of land. Uh, But yes, so private property as we think of it in the modern West isn't necessarily essential to agriculture, but I come from a farm family. I come from a farm family and I've moved to the city. And so instead of focusing on that transition from from hunter-gatherer or herds person to agriculture as being a focus, when I heard you read it today, I was focusing on Cain's transition from being attached to the soil to... um, to going and instead of not becoming a wanderer, but actually building a city and creating an institution. And uh, which when you talk about the the devil, demons, and so forth, I tend to think of the principalities and powers more in the sense that Walter Wink would as, as properties emerging from human institutions rather than necessarily as beings created by God that are fallen or something like that. That's a metaphor that may be useful for some, but I don't find that's not the way I think of it. So I'll, I'll put that out there just so that you understand where I'm coming from. And I see that when they, when Cain organizes a city he's building these human institutions that that give power to things that take on a life of their own as people collectively interact and then and then the people individually can't control them anymore and so i just found that interesting and and having, in my lifetime, adjusted from the transition from living off the land, which has been the heritage of my family for hundreds of years, to living in a city, uh, it's been a difficult adjustment to me. And, and I just... Um, I see that as as you know, Cain's response is not to either go backwards and become a wanderer or to reestablish his relationship with the soil, but to go ahead and build a city where these um, uh, a, a lot more other things that we think of as evil uh, tend to emerge from a human collective action that that they can't, they that ends up taking on a life of its own and getting out of their control. So that was something that struck me today.
1: Yeah. Walter Wink is one of my favorite authors. And while I um, view him, while I have that view, I sort of also have a supernatural view, but I think that demons are unleashed by human beings, unleashed by human actions, and actually created by human, human actions, but they may remain afterwards um, in yeah. the buildings and places where the evil occurred. But that's just my personal view on the supernatural. Yeah, uh, That's why I think it's simple. Sad, if we haven't heard much from you today, we're
6: uh, we usually yeah, here a whole lot. In fact, I um, thought of something amusing is that um, uh, we've got a builder here that committed murder which is irreparable so yeah. and uh, about the uh, the nomadic versus sedentary uh, i think um, well naturally it's the, um, nomadic uh, setting or people uh, are also uh, or maybe also about uh, violence and power and taking and and possession and so forth but it's true that i think it's very interesting to to say that uh, um this technology like you say uh inab- in a not enable uh, uh power and destruction of our human beings because this nomad people uh, can do this yeah maybe uh, uh, in terms of uh, exodus and so forth uh, uh if you've got space to 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 go then you can escape the violence perhaps yeah but it, i found it very interesting to uh, to realize, yeah, to say that it's through technology that we kill uh, the home and the the environment i mean uh, uh, very wrathful god, like uh, asking for uh, for vengeance and like uh, kill them, kill them uh, in turn, and uh...
1: is um, is original sin the sin of violence or disobedience?
6: Yeah, if I can
0: just offer here, uh, I think the whole concept of original sin is problematic for any number of reasons. But historically, in the life of the church, and I can't. Uh, it's, it's the church after Augustine particularly that really uh, uh, g- goes with this. But original sin that, or the, the issue in original sin becomes the transmission. How does it move from generation to generation? That becomes the, the central question. And it's, it's decided, obviously that it well that it's transmitted by sex, And so you've got in in the church then this incredibly ambiguous notion about sex that if the clergy, if you're going to have clergy and nuns, well, they're really close to God. They need to be really close to God. So no sex. And so a, a kind of a second grade humanity. Well, they engage in sex. Well, then we've got to create a sacrament called marriage to counteract the sin. Of, of sexuality. Even though it's in marriage and love, it's still fundamentally flawed. And so all of these kinds of things about women, about men, about domination, uh, and so on and so forth, uh, because of it's all about how sin is transmitted. I think the church got off to a really, really bad foot on that one. <laughs> um,
2: well, I, I just point out quickly that just it was the first was was the original sin murder as in like Cain's murder of Abel or was it disobedience you know like in the garden um and um that that does connect to the, the point I made earlier that um uh there there there's one interpretation according to which um yeah the original sin that uh it is is murder because um you know in in the book of wisdom you've got the the devil bringing death into the world and um apparently in uh the early days very early days that was that was read as a reference to cain so yes it was it was cain's um cain's murder of abel that was the original sin uh
6: i'd say if you don't want to Kill your enemy because uh, of you perceive it as an enemy because of uh, I don't know differences or uh, would be the common purpose maybe that uh, that's been lost here in uh, in not um, so not maybe in sacrifice uh, because because I don't think this is a appeasing gesture but uh, at least in uh, in trying to pleasing. Uh, yeah to uh, um, to to please god uh, as a benevolent figure but me for me is 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 why the the, the the tale is disturbing is that uh, uh what I find very disturbing is is to think that uh, you need to kill the best of your baby sheep to appease uh god then. Yeah, what, what God is this, you know? So, I mean, it's... A-
1: Definitely the Bible is a book about ancient Israel and their practices and their beliefs and the sacrifice system work to serve, to fund the government. I think here we just see humanity's total failure in that, in killing their brothers, and killing one another. I mean, that's the... I mean, I think God yes. is shocked in these passages, that there's a measure of shock. God created something peaceful. At least that's the myth. That's the story. Um, some ideal no. I- world. But then humanity just came out of the gates. And this is, the, I think, the problem that's being addressed. Why... Do we keep killing one another.
0: I'm just going to jump in. I'm kind of having fun with this, and thank you, thank you, Richard, by the way. Um, suddenly occurs to me that in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, we have two significant moments of overreaction. First of all, is Cain's overreaction, and God says, Look, you could do something about this. It never says why God has rejected, but God says you can do something about this, learn and grow. Um, but Cain overreacts. A few chapters later in the flood, what do we have? We have God overreacting. I don't know if there's any, if we can link those two together, but the overreaction, the uh, the over uh, misreading the situation and saying something is Far worse than it is, and that's why I said that that little episode in Peter, where Second uh, Peter, where Jesus apparently goes to the to the realm of the dead of those who died in Noah's time to preach to them. And I said I just recently I thought, by golly, that may in fact be God going to apologize to them for overreacting. Never mind, that's all I. <laughs> I'm just playing oh. with. I, I'm playing with the text, but I think the text in its ambiguity invites us to play with it, mm-hmm. to explore a lot of different ideas, even as Israel was trying to figure out their place in time and how this all came about. Who are we and how did we get here? And why do we keep screwing up? Why do we keep hating one another? So that's all a part of it. And why does God sometimes lose God's cool and and, and, and become really overreacting? And then I sometimes say, as we move along in the stories, we see a certain gro- growing, a certain maturity. We've got the prophets, and ultimately that leads us to, uh, to the New Testament. And we, we hope by then there's a certain level of maturity in the Godhead. And that's then given to humanity, also the opportunity and the invitation to achieve a certain level of maturity.
6: But Mia um, yeah, just uh, uh, would like to say that uh, I'm surprised at this uh, interpretation that I understand they are uh, shared, because um, I had only one uh, uh, answer to me given is answer to me given is that uh, we don't know why um, so the divine reacts this way, but. Um, Never I have uh, I've heard about, uh, uh, not officially at least, you know, uh, some kind of uh, of evolving uh, uh, divine conscience, like uh, you know, like a, a, a young god that would uh, evolve. Or, uh, yeah.
1: So. Um, Susan, you wanted to add something?
5: Those of us who. Who know the Bible? We know where this is headed, and and if we use those first um, eleven chapters up till Abraham comes, that we know that the final story in that is the story of the Tower of Babel, which is the whole idea of there's only one city, and and human beings just uh, you know the city just takes over, and and God isn't is unhappy about that again for ambiguous reasons just like the acceptance of the sacrifices why uh god is displeased with the with the city and the tower being built at the end of this cycle but that's where the cycle is gonna end up so we're seeing the the foreshadowing here in cain building a city to uh how this cycle is going to end?
1: Did you want to respond, Naomi? Uh,
4: one of the things that I notice in this in this story is that it's not about possession and land, and that's none of that comes in here. Um, these are stories about how people are in relationship with God, and um, I don't think it's a political story, I, um, but. I mean, we can make political interpretations of it, but I just don't think it is. Um, I think it's about relationship and being in right relationship.
6: I, I am not maybe right on the vocabulary, yes, but the soil, I think, might uh, might take ex- uh, the land is like geographical and, uh, you know, it's like a parcel or something like this. And the soil, but I'm gonna check, but, for me yes it's like uh, something that okay you it drains with water and also it's rich because it might be the top top part of uh, the, the soil or something like this so is is not something you possess it's more something that you cultivate and you know that um, in gardening for example the amount of time you you, you spend uh, uh, extracting rocks, Putting them back because you know you want the water to have, a, and and something where you can improve the, the, the quality of the, of the land and and so forth. So maybe it's something more like uh, uh, about uh, c- cultivation and uh, mm. and uh, um, like compost, uh, kind of kind of. So.
1: That these texts were written around the time of the Babylonian exile or um, the return from Babylon from the exile, and so I see these stories as foundational stories for the nation of Israel. So to me, they're they're holy and political in that sense that. The what they're trying to do is found a nation and build upon that nation and that's what the purpose of these these myths are and. So we got obviously creation and then we have the city state, we have the state, the city state, or we just call it the state for all sorts of purposes that gets created out of this so. I think all these stories have to do with the founding of the nation of Israel or the refounding of the nation of Israel and the building of that nation. And that's why I I, I tend to see them as political in their central and core. This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.